This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Check this out. It is free. No, I'm serious. It's free, 100%. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor then distributes that podcast for you, and you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from that podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Our guest of honor is here, everybody. That's good. That's good. Mr. Kirkton. Hello, Tim. Tim. Hi. How are you? Can you guys see me? Yep, you're perfect. Absolutely. We got you. Can you hear me? Perfect. Yes, sir. Miracle when anything technological works in my life. Ladies and gentlemen, friends and family, we are thrilled to be joined this week on Lauer After Hours with none other than the expert of experts on not only baseball, but of course, the looks like game from the Dan Levitard Show, one Mr. Tim Kirchin. This gentleman needs no further introduction. I think if you're familiar with the show, you know how delightful and how wonderful uh, this gentleman's presence is each week. When I hear Tim reading the uh, uh, Pitbull lyrics for the rejoin each week, <laughs> it, is, it makes me so happy as he shakes his head <laughs> right now. It is, it is my favorite moment of the week. So, Tim, thank you again for joining us. We're going to uh, – by the way, real quick, do you get more Tim or Tom when you are in public at this point? Uh, I get about as many Toms on Twitter as I get Tims. So okay. I, did, I did a book signing about four years ago, and this really old guy came up to me and called me Tom at the book signing. He had to be 90 years old, and I actually oh, wow. thought – well, he, he's just, he doesn't know who I am. He doesn't know what my name is. <laughs> and then after I signed a book and I milled around a little bit, he came up to me, he goes, you know, I'm in on the joke. You know that, right? <laughs> Here he is, 90 years old, and he was playing around with me, and I wasn't sure if he knew what was going on or not, and he knew exactly what was going on. And that, that whole looks like thing, just to, to get us started here, I went to the White House when the Cubs won the World Series. Okay? Uh-huh. My job was to cover the Cubs going to the White House. And I'm walking around the White House grounds, and a Secret Service man, who I have no idea who he is, of course, just comes up to me and says, Andy Reid looks like, <laughs> and left it like, open like an ellipsis and then he walked away or anything else he just said Andy Reid looks like oh it was it was just priceless and I figured all right now the Levitard show is within the White House grounds absolutely guys are having fun with this unbelievable that's that is incredible that shows you just how how far the reach is on this little niche uh, uh, thing that they have they have turned this into. It's that's fantastic. Thank you for for sharing that. Right. All right, and, we're well. As long as you brought up the pit bull thing, I have to tell that story quickly just to get oh, it out. Oh, sure, okay. absolutely. I was on the field at the All Star Game. Adnan Burke, the mischievous host of Baseball Tonight, co-host at the time, he sees Pitbull on the field. 
and he knows he knows this is the biggest mismatch of all time me <laughs> against pitbull so he goes up to pitbull and says your greatest fan in the whole world is right over here would you come miss meet him he knows all your songs so pitbull comes over to me shakes my hand with this complicated handshake i couldn't even figure out what i was supposed to do and he said i understand you're my biggest fan and oh I'm, my god I have no idea who he is. I don't know who he is. That was the mischievous uh, Adnan Burke at work. So, of course, that appears on Twitter somehow. And I'm not making this up. The next day at the All-Star Game, Mike Trout, the greatest player we've ever seen, comes up to me and goes, hey, I saw you met Pitbull. What was that like? <laughs> Mike Trout asking me about Pitbull. Oh, my gosh. <sighs> Oh, that's incredible. That is – oh, man. We, we sure do miss Adnan's presence around here. Oh, man. Uh, that That is an absolute fantastic story. I would have paid good money to have witnessed that interaction. I'm not going to lie, Tim. All right. Uh, first off, we're going to throw it to uh, our uh, correspondent out in Albuquerque, one Mr. Steak Sauce. Go ahead, Steak. Hello, Mr. Kirchin. Thank you so much for joining us. It's an honor to talk to you again. Um, I wanted to ask uh, – Professionally, what has this week been like with baseball starting up and everything going on? Professionally as a journalist and then personally as a baseball fan, what has it been like for you? Well, it's certainly been the most bizarre 10 days that I've ever covered. And that goes for everyone else that's covering it, watching it, or being a part of it. There's never been anything that even approaches how weird this has been with no fans in the stands, with players testing positive, with the season up in the air the way it is, and yet people love the game. And I did the game on on Thursday night, the Dodgers against the Giants, and we had a zillion technical issues. It was the worst broadcast I've ever been a part of, and it broke the record for the highest rated game in the 10 p.m. time slot in the history of ESPN baseball. It just Whoa. showed how starving fans are for the game. So it was so encouraging that people missed it that much that they showed up and in record numbers to watch the 10 p.m. game that night. So it was great. Journalistically, it's been impossible. I have not spoken to a player face-to-face uh, since March the 8th, whatever it was. I have not been in a clubhouse yet. I haven't even been to a ballpark yet because we do the games from our homes. So that opening night, Carl Ravitch was a play-by-play guy in Connecticut. Eduardo Perez was one analyst. He's in Miami. I was the other analyst in Maryland, and we did a game from California. It was the weirdest thing. And we had this absurd delay where we just kept running into each other because the, the technology just wasn't right. Now we've done three games since that. They've all gone really well. And I'm doing a game Tuesday night, the, uh, the Mets at the nationals, but it has been bizarre trying to cover the game, but I'm just so happy that it's back because I can't watch another episode of the office and <laughs> every Columbo episode, I think twice since COVID began. All right. Well, for your sake, for your sanity, I hope I hope baseball can can keep it going because uh, that that many that many go arounds on your favorite television shows, even those become stale at some point. All right. Up next, we're going to Coach Debro up in Wisconsin. Go ahead, Coach. Hello, Tim. Thanks again for joining us. I've got a few looks likes for you that I'm uh, anticipating your judgment on. <clears throat> <laughs> Does Christian Yelich look like the guy at the bar who has been wondering why a girl has been giving him so much attention all night, only for him to realize four days later that she's been trying to go home with him? (laughs) Does Jeff Passan look like he's drawn a ketchup smiley face on every burger he's ever eaten? (laughs) Does Dick Vitale look like he'd yell, do you know who I am, at someone not because of clout, but because he's genuinely unsure? (laughs) does cam newton look like he always carries a bottle of pot sauce in his purse does robin lopez look like brooke lopez if brooke had lost his job girlfriend and home to an online gambling addiction 
<clears throat> Does Dan Levitard look like the guy having a heart attack while in the lead of a lemon pepper chicken wing eating competition, pushing officials and EMT aside, claiming this isn't as bad as the last one? <laughs> oh, Thank you again. Those are very one. clever. Uh, so after I did a bunch of those the first time, I called Dan, and because Dan is, is, is a genius. He is brilliant. His use of the language is breathtaking to me, and I am a writer. He, I said, Dan, don't, don't lie to me. You've done all of these by yourself. You write every one of these. He goes, I've never written one of them. He said, we have a community of people who just send these to us, and they're so beautifully written. That's the best part about it. I saw a guy in the airport. I think I was in Denver. And he stopped me breathlessly, didn't even introduce himself and said, oh my gosh, one of the looks like I came up with and they read it on the air and you laughed at it. He said, it was the highlight of my entire life. And then he walked away, that was the end of that. So that's how important, that's how important it is for some people. And, and that was those were very cleverly done. They were very good, but I think we can all agree Dan's comedic timing on how he reads those things yes. are, are half of what make them so funny. That's what, oh, for sure. he is so hysterically funny. He understands the cadence, he understands exactly when to hit it. And, and so I laugh way more. If he had given me that bunch, I would have laughed harder because it was him delivering them rather than anyone else. Fair enough. I'll take that win. I'll take it. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes, his his gravitas in which he delivers them, and when he he leads off with the person's name and then a pause, and then goes into it just to just to the the anticipation makes it that much funnier. I, I completely completely agree with you, Tim. All, All right. right. And Up it's, next, it's the quick hitters that are the best ones. But he yes, he, he just says Adam Silver pause. <laughs> Looks like a bowling pin. I mean, seriously, <laughs> what do you, where do you go from there? You don't, you don't go anywhere. It's perfect. It's too perfect. All right, up next, we're going to go with Jeff. Uh, I believe he's got a basketball question. Go ahead, Jeff. Hey, Tim. How's it going? Thank you so much for being with us. Um, so it's pretty well known throughout Bristol, and I would say throughout all of sports media, that you would be the um, premier uh, – Pick up point, pick up basketball point guard player across uh, all options. So I'm wondering if you had to fill out your basketball team with other sports media players or people you've played with at ESPN or elsewhere in the media, where are you going? Well, you're being far too kind, especially now. I'm four and a half and 63 years old, and I I played the other day, and I'm terrible now. That's hardly point. Thank you for the compliment. You overstated it tremendously, but I appreciate it. Uh, A.J. Preller, who's the GM for the Padres, would be the two guard on our team. I would be the point guard because I would be the smallest person, and I would have him next to me. That way I wouldn't have to guard him because I've guarded him way too many times, and he just pissed on me. He killed me. So good. He's so much younger than me. He's bigger, stronger, everything. But so... He's going to be the two guard. Um, up front, uh, I'm going to give you an eclectic list here. Up front, uh, Scott Wedman, former NBA player, is, the, is going to be the small forward because I went to a game in Kansas City many, many years ago, and he had just retired from the NBA. And he recognized right away that I'm going to have the ball in my hands a lot because I'm the smallest guy on the floor. So he comes to me and he goes uh, – he says, uh, I'm not going to really play. I'm just going to shoot. I'm not going to get any rebounds. I'm not going to guard anybody. I'm just going to stand over here and shoot. So I know who he is. So I get the ball to him. We win like eight games in a row. He missed like four shots in eight games. So Scott Wedman certainly is on my team. Uh, Billy Bean is on my team only because I played with him in Arizona a bunch of times. And wow, what a competitive guy he is and a really good player. And then the last guy on my team of people I've played with is uh, I, I went with Steve Russian, who's a great player, by the way. Steve Russian from Sports Illustrated, married to Rebecca Lobo. He's a great player. He's 6'5". So he and I went to the Reebok Club in New York uh, to shoot hoops on uh, Halloween 2001. 
and we're just about ready to leave. And these two guys walk in and say, you guys want to play two on two? One of the guys was Adam Sandler. So I ended up playing two on two <laughs> with Adam Sandler. And the guy with him was the single worst player I've ever seen in my life. And they wanted to play against me and Steve. And again, Steve can really shoot it. So we played like three games. We crushed them all three because the other guy was so terrible. Adam Sandler was legitimately frustrated that his team was getting killed the whole time. So afterwards, when it's all done, I called home. Kids were like seven and five. And I said, you're not going to believe what happened to me today. And they said, what, did you meet Derek Jeter again? I said, no, I played <laughs> one, two with Happy Gilmore. And they thought that was the greatest thing of all time. So that, that's probably my basketball team of people, kind of famous people that I've played with and great players that I've played with. That's a great answer. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. <laughs> I did not expect Adam Sandler to make an appearance in that that answer. Fantastic. All right, up next, we're going to Lou Rafter. I uh, believe he's got a question about, uh, let's see, uh, a T-shirt. Go ahead, Lou. Hey, Tim. Um, so I have this picture. Uh, is when Adnan was still with you, and he was doing Monday Night Baseball. And it's this picture of him. He's holding up the picture of you on a shirt saying, Tom. And he's laughing hysterically. And you have this look of like, what is going on? And I'm just kind of curious if you could walk us through like how that all uh, came to be about and what you thought and what was going on in your mind. Well, with Adnan, you're never, you're never safe around Adnan because he is so hysterically funny and so mischievous and one of my dearest friends. I, I can't even begin to tell you how many great nights I had doing baseball tonight with him. We did a David Letterman top 10 list one night. It was so awful that it was great because it was so bad. Uh, and of course, at, yeah, I remember the T-shirt. Uh, I only saw it once and, and I was so nonplussed. I didn't even know what to do. I was kind of jarred by it. I wasn't sure what to do. <laughs> and it might've been the same game that Aaron judge hit a home run at Camden yards. I'm the, it's David Ross, Adnan and I doing the game. And <laughs> Aaron judge, it's a line drive, like a 430 foot home run line drive to center field. And Adnan's home run call was, uh, Welcome to Tangiers. <laughs> greatest, which is the greatest look like ever. That looks like a secret spy or something. Kill somebody. Welcome to James Bond off the, off the private jet and says, Welcome to Tangiers. <laughs> His home run call in a major league game. <laughs> stupidest home run call ever. But only Adnan can pull that off. All right. Thank you very much, uh, Lou. Next up, we're going to go out to uh, our favorite public servant, the one mayor of Cartersville, Georgia, Mayor Matt. Matt, go ahead. Thank you, Crispy. Tim, thank you for your time this evening. I know being a baseball historian, I'd like to know uh, what specific, what single calendar day has the most interesting statistics attached to it. And if you've got some examples of that, it could span several years, but like on April 8th, if there's one, if that's one of the more interesting days historically in baseball. Yeah, as you probably know, I did the this date in baseball history from March the 28th through July the 1st this year. And right. I looked at every date. It was fascinating to me to see exactly what happened on each one of these dates. Um, uh, I'm not sure. I mean, April 8th obviously is a huge date. And there were some where I had like four great things to write about, but I, I had to choose the best one. Um, I, I've always found that opening day, no matter what day it's on, is is my favorite part because of all the crazy things that have happened on opening day. Um, for instance, Adrian Beltre never hit a home run on opening day. So, he has like four, he finished with 450 homers, whatever it was, and never hit a home run on opening day. But your question is a really good one. And now, now I'm going to have to do some thinking on that because I, I can't gather the dates in my head particularly well. I just know in compiling that daily story I wrote for 101 straight days, there were some days where I went, oh my God, I could write, I could write 5,000 words about this day. It was so interesting. All right. Well, thank you very much. Sure. 
All right. Up next, we've got uh, Mark, who uh, otherwise known as Leber Reddit. Go ahead, my friend. Hello, Tim. Uh, question about your relationship with Dan and how that became to be. So uh, you mentioned earlier, maybe before we even recording, that you knew him for 30 years or so. So how did you become a staple on the show? Were they just looking for a baseball guy and you were the most well-known at ESPN? And how did you meet Dan and how this all become? Well, I met Dan in spring training one year. <clears throat> I was at Sports Illustrated. I'm at least 10 years older than him. And he wrote a story about Craig Biggio moving from catcher to second base. And he wrote a tremendous story that he doesn't even remember. And I'm driving around thinking, I've never even met this guy for the Miami Herald. He writes this incredible story. It was so funny. It was so good. So I figured, well, I better go meet this guy. And, you know, he wrote while he was at, at Miami. So he's like 14 years old when he wrote the story. It was unbelievable. So I got to know him just because he was so freaking good as a writer. And then I did opening day in Miami 1994 when the stadium opened. So I got to know him pretty well. And then when the show started going uh, in Miami, he just called me out of the blue and said, would you like to come on? I guess we hit it off. And we I've been on his show like every week now or almost every week during the baseball season for 15 years. So it, it all stemmed from just what a great writer Dan Levitard is. And as a writer myself, uh, there are certain days I look at what he writes and I go, oh, my God, we do the same job and I'll never, ever be as good as that guy. Well, we we beg to differ. You might you might feel that way, but uh, but uh, we you are clearly clearly uh, beloved around there for a reason and beloved within the baseball world. All right, up next we've got Pamela at Halloween Basic. Uh, she's got a baseball question. Go ahead, Pam. Hi, Tim. So Hi. my question comes on behalf of the Ladies of Nationals baseball Twitter account. And they, we, would like to know what can Major League Baseball do to attract and keep female fans? Uh, you know, as you know, Pamela, the, the numbers are really going up for female fans interested in baseball. And we need to appeal to them more and more often. And we've got a lot of really good writers out there, Susan Slusher in Oakland, covering the A's, so many really talented women writing about baseball right now. And I think that's the starting point, is the more exposure we can give women, the more women we're gonna get interested in baseball. And I am so encouraged now uh, with how many women I meet, you know, during a during a week or a month, who are who are invested. Uh, two years ago, I was walking through the Harris Teeter at home, and this woman from our neighborhood just stops me dead in my tracks and says, "Oh my gosh, now I know what you feel inside." I love the Nationals, she said. I started uh -huh. watching a year ago, and now I'm hooked. I have to watch every game. I have to read every box score. She said, now I know what you feel every single day, your love for the game, because now I have it. And she was like 55 years old, and she finally got it. And maybe that's the point is we just need to get women involved in every possible way. And we have a woman as a coach for the San Francisco Giants. So the more exposure, the better. But I would tell every woman to seek out, especially the, the women who are writing and covering baseball today, there are some really good ones out there. Thank you so much. That's great. All right. Up next, we've got Asom in Chicago. Go ahead, Asom. Hey, Tim. I'm repping my uh, 1984 Ryan Sandberg jersey here. My question revolves around him. Um, he's known for having an errorless streak, 123 games, 582 chances. But even here sometimes in Chicago, people say, ah, it's a little overrated because his range wasn't much. He didn't get to that many balls. I'd love to hear your comments about Ryan Sandberg. That'd be great. Well, I voted for him for the Hall of Fame. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I think he was a great defensive second baseman, but 
I would agree his range wasn't as good as some others. Roberto Alomar had much better range than Ryan Sandberg. Then again, Roberto Alomar had much better range than any second baseman that I have ever seen. But Ryan Sandberg was not just offensively such a good second baseman, but he was a wizard around the bag. And, and this is an important lesson for all the people who think it was a great idea to change the slide rule at second base to protect the middle infielders, which I'm all for. I don't want anyone getting hurt. But Lloyd McClendon was playing for the Pirates, and he got hit by a pitch, and they hit him on purpose, and he was pissed. So he said, please, please just give me a chance to go kill the second baseman or kill the shortstop on this slide. Please have a ground <laughs> ball to the infield where I can go break up a double play and knock someone into left field. So it happens. And he's going right at Ryan Sandberg. And he's thinking, I got him. I got him. I got him. And he said, and then I looked up and he vanished. And then he threw it to first for a double play. That's how good Ryan Sandberg was around the bag because he worked at it. It was part of the skill of the job was to get the ball, get the out at second, and then get the hell out of there before you get killed and still make the throw to first. Ozzie Smith was the best I've ever seen at that at shortstop, closely followed by Omar Vizquel. And Ryan Sandberg was the best I've ever seen at it at second base. And now, all we do is reward bad footwork at second base because you don't have you can't get slid into anymore. There's no reason to be great around the bag. So the Ryan Sandbergs of the world are just a dime a dozen now. I mean, they just no longer exist because it's not important anymore to be a magician around the bag like he was. Thanks, Tim. Love you. I can listen to you talk baseball all night long. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right. Up next, we have got Beep Count. He's got another baseball question. Go ahead, Beep Count. Hey, Tim. This is at Beep Count on Twitter coming to you from Frisco, Texas. Um, what is your favorite um, stat that sounds false but is absolutely true? Something like Tony Gwynn could go O for his next 1,100 at-bats and still bat 300 or – uh, Tatis had two grand slams in, in the same inning. Well, those are two pretty good ones. Um, I mean, there are a million of those. You know, Jose Reyes got thrown out trying to steal by all three Molina brothers in a 10-day period in 2008. Think about that for a second. <laughs> wow. Uh, of course, Stan Musial had as many hits at home as he did on the road in his career, which is impossible. Yeah. Bud Black, the manager of the Rockies, at one point in his career, I'm going to be close on these numbers, was 92 and 92. And on a certain day uh, in July of, two, of 1991 or whatever the year was, he was exactly 500 in his career, and the teams for which he played were exactly 500 also. They were like 796 and 796. And I charted that statistic for an entire year waiting for the day that Bud Black became the ultimate 500 pitcher. So the day it happened, I jumped on an airplane in Dallas, Texas, and I flew to San Francisco. I was working at Sports Illustrated just to tell Bud Black this and get his reaction. He looked at me and he said, you mean to tell me you just flew 1,500 miles to tell me that? What all of you? Do you have nothing else to do with your life? So that's the kind of stuff that I love. These remarkable coincidences that simply can't happen. I mean, Dennis Eckersley picked off Kenny Williams in a game. Then he went almost four years without picking off anyone. And then he picked off Kenny Williams again. <laughs> almost four yeah. years between pickoffs of the same guy. And there are, I have a hundred things like that that just make you slap your forehead and say, you know, how can this be? Prince Fielder and Cecil Fielder, father and son, hit exactly the same number of homers, 319. Wow. The all-time record uh, for most homers by anyone who has the last name H 
is Howard, but it's both Howards. It's Ryan Frank Howard, Howard and, Ryan and Howard. Frank Howard at 382. What are the chances <laughs> of that? My dad yeah. was a mathematician. He was a PhD at MIT. There's zero chance those numbers could have matched up, but they match up in baseball all the time. Does Dallas Braden... <laughs> <laughs> You can stop right there. He looks like everyone, and he's the funniest guy in the whole world. Oh, my God. Does Dallas Braden look like a chop contestant that is about to use the ice cream machine with 12 minutes left in the dessert round when everyone knows it takes 15 minutes to use that machine? <laughs> Dallas Braden looks like Larry from the Three Stooges. He yep, like- yep. He looks like a pilgrim who's just getting off the boat. He looks like the 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 earnest history teacher who comes in with his hair in a bunch. I mean, he is the answer to every one of them. And he is so unbelievably funny. And this won't resonate, but you got a picture. The last day he worked at ESPN, he was doing a game in Pittsburgh. And they had the Jolly Roger, and there were guys out in the right field stand with a pirate flag waving it back and forth. And he left the broadcast booth. He went down and found those guys who had the pirate flag. He put an eye patch over his eye, and he was waving <laughs> the pirate flag like this in the middle of a game that he was supposed to be broadcasting. It was the single funniest visual that I've seen in all my years at ESPN, and only he could have pulled that off. Tim, we love you. Thank you so much for uh, for your time there. I appreciate it. Beep count, fantastic looks like. Well done. And uh, Tim, that story of you getting on the plane and flying 1,600 miles, that is about the most Tim Kirchin uh, story I have ever heard of. So thank you for sharing that with us. Up next, we've got Aaron. He's got a Cardinals question. Go ahead, Aaron. Hey, Tim. Uh, so I'm a Cardinals fan, and the, they've been the only team throughout my life that's uh, actually been consistently good. But they never go after like the big time free agents. They never have the superstar. So, what what is it about the organization that's allowed them to be uh, so consistently consistently good outside of us being the best fans in baseball? Obviously. Well, seriously, that that's part of it. And the thing with the Cardinals, and it sounds corny, is the team is bigger than any one player. I mean, Albert's first 10 years are arguably the greatest first 10 years that anyone has ever had. But when it was time for Albert to go, the the fans said, boy, we hope he stays, but we'll still be good because we're the Cardinals. The organization is bigger than any one player. And I am not exaggerating. I think St. Louis is still my favorite road town, downtown stadium, everyone dressed in red. It's it's an amazing place, and that that bar right next to the to the ballpark. I forget the name, but I'll remember it. Uh, it's I went in there one night after a game, and I met the owner or something, and the place was packed. And he said, "I said, what's the deal with this place?" And he goes, "Well, we're we're open 81 days a year. That's all. So they're only open after Cardinal home games. They're closed wow. the rest of the time. And to me, that kind of sums up uh, what the Cardinals are all about. And I think that whole we're bigger than any one player is the reason that they don't just go out and give, you know, someone $400 million. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we appreciate it. Sure. All right. Up next, we have got Anthony in Brooklyn. Uh, he's got a baseball tonight question, I believe. Go ahead, Ant. Hey, Tim. Thanks for joining us. Um, I'm lucky enough to also listen to you on 20 Kornheiser, so I get you two times a week at least. And, uh, some of my favorite segments are the ones that you're a part of, so I, I much appreciate it. Um, I'm a Yankee fan, so I want to ask a question to make fun of the mess a little bit. With Cespedes opting out today, what do you think about that, the way he just sort of ghosted his team and didn't tell anybody and just sort of up and sort of disappeared? And do you think it's something that we could see more players now sort of saying, all right, I've had enough of this. I don't feel protected. I'm going to get out. Yeah, I, well, we'll keep this between us because I could get myself and others in trouble, but I'm really confused how anyone could just get up and leave the way that he left. Now, if he looks around and says, I'm worried about my health and this is not a good environment for me and I need to go, 
we understand that. Lorenzo Cain just did it the other night, and everyone, you know, gave him a fond farewell, and he went home. And we all understand because this is way more important than baseball. But to not say goodbye to his teammates, to not inform anybody personally what he was doing, and for about a two two hour period, no one even knew where he was. That's not being a very good teammate. So I think we'll see a few more players opt out, not a significant number, but I can promise you everyone else that opts out is going to do it the right way and tell somebody, the manager, the general manager, the minute he makes the decision, I need to go home, not just vanish uh, like Cespedes. And what also confused me about it was, like the first home game when he hit the home run, he was like shaking hands and high-fiving and doing all the non-social distancing stuff and then said, wait, I can't do this anymore. I don't know. It was just sort of odd for me, but thank you very much, Tim. My pleasure. All right. Up next, we've got Steve. Steve, go ahead, my man. Thanks for joining us, Tim. I I just need on the record that I'm technically watching a Yankee Red Sox game with Tim Kirchner right now. That that just needs to be said. But uh, so do do, do more people bring up the looks like or baseball to you in public at this point? Um, Well, I'm a little bit embarrassed to say this, but – you know, I've been doing baseball tonight for 23 years. I've been a baseball writer for 41 years. I do games from the booth now. And I get more reaction to the Levitard show and the looks like game than anything else. And the close second is the appearances on the stupid Scott Van Pelt show where he makes me laugh out loud with the Baltimore <laughs> accent. So I'm really starting to rethink my journalistic integrity when people know me for two things. A stupid looks like game on the stupid Levitard show and Scott Van Pelt making me laugh on SportsCenter. But I think the lesson here, and I mean this genuinely, is look, I'm a journalist and a proud one. I am a baseball writer and it's the most important thing that I do. But covering baseball for a living, it's okay to have a good chuckle once in a while. I tell players all the time, this is the hardest game in the world to play. If you don't have a good laugh with it once in a while, it will tear you to pieces. And covering the game, even though it's not like playing the game it's an amazing grind and i love every bit of it but it can wear you down it can tear you to pieces if you don't have a little bit of fun with it so that's why i'm not apologizing to anybody for having a good laugh once in a while but yes it looks like game i get more questions about that than i do about baseball questions and again that worries me a little bit So then uh, does Brad Stevens looks like he pees in the stall, even though there are 10 urinals open? <laughs> oh, God, there, there are so many of them. Andy, Andy Reid walks into the lobby, and there's a bunch of donuts on the table, and he says, don't mind if I do. <laughs> uh, I can't oh, thank God. you enough, Tim. Thank you very much for that. Sure. Tim, I have to admit something very quickly. Um, I, I was not raised as a baseball watcher. I'm, I'm from southeastern North Carolina. Closest team was like the Braves, basically. Um, so I, I grew up watching basketball. But your segments on the Levitard show literally have turned me into someone who pays attention to the game. Um, I And basically having – them having you on there to play that looks like game and mix it in with your extreme knowledge about the game has done wonders for my knowledge about the sport as well. So you are reaching us, whether, <laughs> whether you realize it or not, uh, you, you are turning us into fans. So thank you for that. Well, um, thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Up next, we've got John in Miami. Go ahead, John. Hi, Tim. It's John. Um, I'm looking at your background. And I see a lot of memorabilia back there. So um, what the question popped into my mind is, do you have a most cherished memorabilia or memento? Um, and if you do, could we hear the story behind that? Uh, I'm not, I don't have any memorabilia. I have two autographs in my house, two, because I'm not a collector. I'm a journalist. I'm not allowed to get autographs. I don't want anybody's autograph. I don't take pictures with with star people. It's just not what I do. All of my memorabilia, as corny as it sounds, are the stories that I have 
and they're in my head and they will always be in my head. I collect stories rather than memorabilia. I have a signed baseball from Cal Ripken, not to me, but to the kids. It's in my house. Wow. Um, I have an autograph from Stan Musial. I was at a luncheon at the White House. I don't care how bad this sounds about dropping names, but I was at a, a baseball luncheon at the White House. And it was, they, it was assigned seating. And get this. I was assigned to sit in between Stan Musial and Brooks Robinson, who might be the two nicest superstar players in the history of the world. So halfway through lunch, Stan Musial looks at me and says, um, would you like an autographed picture? So, of course, it's Stan Musial. So right. two days later, overnight delivery, a autographed picture of Stan Musial arrives in my house, and it hangs pr proudly in my basement. But those are the only things I have. But here in my office, I have a... Uh, I've written about this. I have like a three by three or three by four in foot um, box score of the 30 to three game that the Rangers beat the Orioles in uh, 2007. And a guy named Christopher Black, who does box scores for people, sent this to me in the mail unsolicited. So I have this gigantic box score in my office of that famous, famous game when the, when the Rangers became the first team since 1900 to score 30 runs. That's the kind of memorabilia I have, but believe me, I'm not a collector. I'm not interested in that. I want to collect stories that I can tell. Thank you very much. All right, fantastic answer, Tim. All right, up next we've got Barrett. Uh, he's got another baseball question for you. Go ahead, Barrett. What's up, Tim? It's Barrett coming to you out of Duval. So there is no doubt that the Yankees are stacked with their roster all the way up, up and down. Are there any other teams in baseball history that have been this good that also didn't win anything? Um, well, the Yankees have won a hundred games two years in a row. Um, but other teams have won a hundred games two years in a row and not won anything either. So I think it's a little too early to say that the Yankees are like a disappointment in any way because they haven't won the World Series with this team. I think if they win 100 next year and don't win this year and don't win next year, maybe we could start saying this might be the most talented group of players uh, not to win a World Series over X, you know, three, four, five years. I think that's the possibility, but I think they're so good right now, and I think Garrett Cole changes the equation so enormously that I think they're going to win the World Series before long. Secondly, does Jeff Passan look like a real boy? <laughs> <laughs> he looks like a lot of people, I think. One of the levitards was he looks like a maitre d' at like a stuffy restaurant. <laughs> that is so spot on. So spot on. All right. Next up, we've got Drake, a.k.a. Cody Cavalry. Go ahead, Drake. Hey, Tim. Thanks for joining us. Um, all baseball purists know um, some of the funnest, most exciting times happen during pregame warm-ups and, and batting practice sessions. Um, one of my earliest memories is is at Turner Field, um, Andrew Jones taking a round of BP with a metal bat and um, hitting some balls beyond out into the concourse. Um, so my question is, what what's one of the um, coolest or maybe strangest things that you've seen during a pregame batting practice session? Uh, I saw Will Myers in at the trop one day put a baseball on a tee at home plate and using a fungo bat, he hit it about 40 feet over the center field fence. So he got, <laughs> he got, nobody is throwing to him. He's hitting a ball off a tee and granted he's hitting it with a fungo bat, but one of the coaches bet him that he could not do that. And then he did it rather easily. That was pretty impressive. Um, wow. As far as BP goes, uh, Roberto Alomar and Omar Vizquel at the end of infield used to just horse around a little bit, throw the ball between their legs, throw the ball around their back, use their bare hand. It was it was like watching the Globetrotters play second base 
and shortstop. That's that was always one of the things that I loved to watch the most. I saw Giancarlo Stanton take BP in Cincinnati. You know how small Cincinnati is a few years ago. Eduardo Perez was the was the hitting coach for the Marlins at the time. And he looks at me at the batting cage. I'm covering the game. And and Stan hits a bunch of line drives up the middle. And he goes, watch the last round. So the last round was like six swings. And he hit every ball so far into the third deck in Cincinnati. It was just unbelievable. Like, he could go up there anytime he wanted. And to finish, I am so old that I – Every single game I covered until about for my first 20 years, they had infield before the game. So I used to watch, you know, Ellis Valentine and Dwight Evans, and Dave Parker and Jesse Barfield and Reggie Smith and those guys throw from right field to home plate during infield at 630 for a seven o'clock game. And I can't even begin to tell you how great that was for me as a writer to appreciate how strong these throwing arms are. And we just don't get that anymore. And I really miss it. And sorry, just to finish, but this is a true story. I saw it. Jose Okendo, who's been a coach for the Cardinals and other teams many times is the absolute fungo master. So he showed me because I pushed him to show me that he could pitch batting practice with his fungo bat. So he could throw up the ball on the pitcher's mound, hit it with his fungo bat, and hit it over the plate for a strike. I saw wow. him do it. And he said, he said, I won't hit all strikes across the plate, but he said, I'll never hit a batter with, with a fungo, meaning I won't be so far off that I'll just spray it and kill somebody. He was so good with a fungo that he could pitch batting practice with his fungo bat. That's incredible. Does Andy Reid look like he tailgates in the parking lot of your local butcher, butcher shop before it opens? Upon opening, he proclaims, play ball. <laughs> we'll, take, we'll take that as a yes, Tim. We will take that as a yes. Andy Reid right. and Adam Silver are right there at the top of the all-time uh, list, yes. And very quickly, what, what is a fun go bat? Fungo bat is a much skinnier bat and a much okay. livelier bat. It gives you, it can, you really have to be good at it because it's not like hitting it with a barrel of today's bat the size of okay. the It's a very skinny, very powerful little bat, and it's, uh, it's hard to maneuver, believe me. But the guys who are great with it are absolute magicians. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Um, so we have just a few more questions. If you have time, Tim, I know we're, we're pushing the, the 45 minute mark. If that's okay with you. Sure. I got to be off by nine o'clock Eastern time. My wife has texted me three times. To go to oh, take no. out, and I told her I'm going to be, I'm going to be taken here. So, uh, right. yeah, so we'll, we'll do a few more. We'll end at nine at the latest. Absolutely. Uh, we love your dog. So we don't want you getting in trouble for them. All right. Up next is Mike Ryan fan account. Go ahead. Hello, Tom. For you being such a stat guy, does it bother you at all that this year's shortened season will be uh, uh, forever impacting players' career stats? Yeah, and, and really, that is so, so unimportant. I keep telling myself that with everything that's going on, uh, I, I shouldn't be worried about that. But yes, it is going to affect certain streaks that somebody has. He's hit 30 home runs for seven straight years, and that's going to end. Or, you know, he struck out 200 guys for five straight years, and that's going to end. So I'm going to have to make that adjustment, and we're all going to have to make the adjustment. And I'm going to have to write this sentence for the rest of my career, other than the, you know, the COVID-shortened 2020 season, you know, Albert Pujols is the only player to, something like that. And I'm not looking forward to that, but that is a very small um, punishment for uh, what's happening this year. So, yes, it bothers me as a stat guy that the stats are all going to get thrown up in the air this year, but uh, it's just all part of being flexible under extraordinary circumstances. All right, before I throw it back to Lou Rafter, uh, I have a looks like that I will regret if I do not run it past you. So, Tim Kirchin, does Bo Pelini 
sound like a tiny multicolored decorative pasta. <laughs> pretty good. All right. Yes. I'll take it. So, I'll, I'll I'll take somebody it. recorded that. Okay. Uh, Tim, thank you again so much for joining us. I'm going to throw it to Lou Rafter. He wants to present you with something. Go ahead, Lou. Hey, Tim. Um, I just want to thank you for coming on and gracing us with your presence on the Lower After Hour. Um, this will definitely be one of those memories that I keep in my head that the time I got to talk to Tim Kirchin with a bunch of random people on the internet. Um, during this time, uh, I was creating you a custom hat to kind of commemorate this uh, occasion. So we heard that you like avocados. And so it's a baseball. And it says, Dan, it's really good. <laughs> well, that is, uh, that is wonderful. Yeah, great hat. Tim Kirchin, it has been an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you join us tonight. We cannot be – honestly, this is – this is the biggest thrill for all of us, of, of all the guests that we've had on here. Um, you are absolutely beloved by this whole uh, fan base and obviously by ESPN and the baseball world in general, but you could not have made our Sunday any better than you just did. Uh, thank you so much. On the count of three, I need everybody to give me a thank you, Tim. One, two, three. Thank, thank you, Tim. Tom. Andy Reid. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, I gotta go let the dogs out before I get in trouble. Yeah, I'm, I'm let the dogs out. <laughs> All right, we're, we're cutting that for sure. All right. <laughs> Tim, thank you again. Have a great evening. My pleasure. Thank, thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lauer After Hours. You can always reach us on Twitter at Lauer After Hours or Instagram at Lauer After Hours. We're available wherever you get podcasts, so don't forget to download, subscribe, review, and rate five stars. shower yeah, oh, yeah. professionally done guys that was great I need a sandwich and a cigarette right now yeah, every, everybody was fantastic in and out real quick yeah, thank yeah. you all so much for being so fucking perfect tonight i love you that was love you for getting this to happen yeah, we're, we're all post-coital here Hey guys, it's Mike. As you know, I adopted my pup Rocky from a local rescue. Now, when people ask me what kind of dog Rocky was, I was always stumped. I used an Embark Dog DNA test to decode my most puzzling questions about Rocky. You can also learn about your dog's inner secrets with Embark, the highest rated dog DNA test. Unlock over 350 breeds and screen for over 200 genetic health risks. Save $50 on a breed and health kit with promo code KIT at EmbarkVet.com. Again, that's promo code KIT.